0: I want to invite you friends to grab your Bibles with me this morning. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the chairs below you. You're welcome to grab that. And uh, you can begin to find your way to Jeremiah, the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, specifically chapter 33, just to kind of get you there, as I have a few other things to share with you. Um, Hearing these stories that we're going to be hearing over the next few weeks, like the one from Mark. Uh, we are reminded in this first Sunday of Advent of this incredible power of hope and how special that is to all of us. Now, if you've ever been in a situation that required you to wait with anxious longing, then you know exactly what this season of Advent represents to the church and our Christian faith. You see, Advent is a Latin word. If it's a word we're not familiar with, you don't use very often, it's a Latin word that, that means coming. And so, as Christians, we are a waiting people. We are waiting for that day to come when every wrong will be made right. Waiting for that day to come when every tear will be wiped away. Waiting for that day when our mourning will turn into joy. Waiting for that day when all sickness and pain and death will be no more. Waiting for that day when all of our hopes will be realized. And if you are in the middle of a great ordeal... A day is coming. If you are grieving the loss of a loved one, a day is coming. If you feel like the simplicity of life has just been thrown for a loop, a day is coming. If you feel like life has been turned upside down and you have no certainty about tomorrow, a day is coming. If your body is broken, if your health is failing, if your heart is crushed or your mind is fading, a day is coming. If you're living in the midst of a weary world, a day is coming. And there is not one person who is sitting in here alone today. You are not alone. You sit beside the God-appointed stories of others who are navigating the road of exile, the journey of being strangers and aliens in a foreign land. As Hebrews 13, 14 says, for here we have no lasting city here, but we seek the city that is to come. Amen. Paul reminds us in Philippians three twenty that our citizenship is in heaven. We are a waiting people. We are waiting for all to be made right at the return of Jesus. A day is coming. And this living in the land of wait is something that we are all familiar with. This is the season of Advent. And it's why this season is so special for the church and for our Christian faith, that in-between place. The gap between what is and what will one day be is a place of anticipation and expectancy. It's the birthplace of hope. And during this season, we are reminded of the great hope that belongs to us because we already belong to God in Christ. And it's because of what God has done for us in Jesus, we can live with an unnatural, an unusual joy. Because the very thing that moves our heart to worship is outside of anything that this world has to offer. As Peter encouraged the scattered churches that were spread throughout much of modern-day Turkey, he says this in 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5, we have an inheritance It is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading, it is kept in heaven for you who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is our hope for tomorrow. Join me in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give to you today our hearts, Lord, our minds, our very soul and we trust To you, this great promise that all will be made right. That you will come again. And that you will accomplish your good purposes in us even now. So Lord Jesus, thank you for being so faithful and good and true. We love you despite or in the midst of what we are walking through today. May we fix our hope completely on you keeping our eyes up on the throne, not only on the things that are here on the earth. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. So during December, obviously things are a little bit different today. I'm wearing a red argyle sweater for starters. Um, We're gonna be doing a a short sermon series, a little break from our current study in Romans, and, and walk through this Advent season together. So the theme for this series, as you can see, is a weary world Rejoices, And so for the next four weeks, starting with today, we're going to focus on these themes that come with Advent. Themes like hope, and peace, and joy, and lastly, love. Now our Advent theme this morning, as we've already seen, is hope. So as we look at Jeremiah 33, um, the specific verses we're going to look at is verses 14 through 16. And each week, also just a bit of a preview, each week we're going to look at one of these Old Testament prophets. And we're doing this because these words from God given to his people through these messengers occur during a time in Israel's history where they are in waiting. They are living in the gap between what is and what will one day be. So this is something that we can all relate to. And I get it. It's hard to sometimes jump into a new book, a new series, now even in here in the middle of a new story. If you've been with us over the fall, we are long before the days of Rome and, and the writings of Paul. The events surrounding Jeremiah 33 take place in the early parts of the 6th century B.C., specifically around 597 to 586 B.C. And so I want to try to give us some helpful, necessary context. And I'm just going to say for those of you who are the the astute Old Testament scholars among us today, I apologize, this is very high-level history for us, but I believe it's going to be helpful. Jeremiah was a prophet of the southern kingdom at the time known as Judah. His ministry was largely within the city of Jerusalem. Now, Israel as a nation had long been divided by this point. The division of the nation occurred in 975 B.C., All right, so with the days of Jeremiah, we are a far cry away from the days of a unified Israel. Okay, this is long after the days of Saul and then David and, of course, Solomon. Now, 400 years later, Jeremiah is ministering to a people that continue to resemble their ancestors who came out of Egypt with Moses. Right, this is the classic, some things just never change. Even in the days of Jeremiah, this ongoing rhythm of rebellion and idolatry. If we remember the Exodus, God does tremendous things and releases his people from 400 years of captivity. And once they cross the Red Sea, it doesn't seem like a few days go by and they're already fashioning their gold into the form of an idol. And this ongoing rhythm continues to repeat itself and they continue to indict their lives with the judgment of God. In fact, I want to just on the screen, just for the reference here in Jeremiah 32, the chapter before in verse 23, we get a bit of a picture of this historical context. Jeremiah writes, they came in and took possession of it, meaning the promised land, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all of this calamity come upon them. Now, in 722 BC, so if you're, if you're following with me now, this is about 136 years before the days of Jeremiah. So, 136 years earlier, the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel was attacked and it was defeated by the Assyrians. And history has a way of repeating itself. Only this time, instead of Assyria, the threat came from Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And you'd like to think that these things would humble a people. Looking up to the north and seeing their brothers and their countrymen and to see what occurred when their part of the nation fell to the Assyrians. you think this would change us. As if what happened to them might happen to us. And this is the reason why Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Maybe you've heard that designation before, but that's that's the way that we've often described Jeremiah. It's because God called this man to speak to a people and warn them of God's coming judgment. He called them to speak difficult truths that only through exile would their hearts be softened. Imagine how hard that message must be for Jeremiah to to share with the people. This is going to happen. It's not even about, oh, it can change now. This is going to happen. And the only way you're, you're going to change is by enduring this exile. Not to mention that God called this man to speak such hard truths, knowing the effect it would have on him. Jeremiah was imprisoned uh, by the king. And so, almost like Paul was in prison, Jeremiah experienced similar things. So, Jeremiah, in many ways, a picture of what Advent is all about. This theme, a weary world, rejoices. Because even though judgment for sin is a large part of what Jeremiah has to tell the people of Judah, and that for the next 70 years, they're going to be in exile in Babylon. Now, contemporary of this time, something you might now begin to pick up on, is this is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. That Jeremiah is a prophet and ministering during the time in which Babylon comes, destroys the city, and people like Daniel, how many of you know that story? end up going with that exile, and that's a whole other part of the Bible that we learn about. So this is what is occurring. And so here Jeremiah is talking, and and even though this judgment is going to happen, there also remains this glimmer of hope that shines through, this sense of promise that is going to break through like the morning sun. Our text today is one of those moments of Glimmering hope. The gap between what is and what will one day be. A hope for tomorrow. Look at verse 14 with me. These will be on the screen. If you're still trying to figure out where Jeremiah is, some of this stuff will be on the screen for you. Jeremiah 33, verse 14. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And I just got to say, friends, is there anything more beautiful that as I considered this text and in preparation for this morning, I just couldn't get past just the initial phrase of what the Lord declares. Days are coming. Days are coming. Now, Jeremiah uses this phrase 16 times throughout his book. Days are coming, declares the Lord. Now, seven of those times refer to the fact that this judgment is coming. There are particular kind of days, but nine times like this one, Jeremiah uses this phrase to declare that there is some good things that are on the horizon, good days that are to come, pointing to this fulfillment of a promise made. And so what is the good word? What's the good word that the Lord is speaking over his people? And this is so important for us to hear today. Because it seems like there are a lot of things being spoken over us right now. Wouldn't you agree? It seems like no matter where we look, doesn't matter what we turn on to either watch or read, news is seldom good. We relate to the stories of the the video we watched earlier, we are bombarded by negative coverage. Polarizing media, inflation and economic difficulties, geopolitical uproars. It just seems like the list is endless. I mean, I just read a report just last week from one of our local outlets that said due to the inflation and the economic difficulties right now, it cost the average family $11,000 more this year to just sustain what their life was last year. I mean, forget the whole keeping up with the Joneses. We can barely keep up with ourselves because of what we're feeling right now. And that is just one example. Just one example. And my point is that there's just a lot of weariness being spoken over us in our life. And all of our stories could share so many more. And so we could all use a good word from the Lord right now. Amen? Amen. Verse 14 is calling us back to the fulfillment of a promise God made in covenant with Abraham. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. And back in Genesis 12, verse 3, because this is is what verse 14 is is all about. When I will fulfill, God says, the word spoken. What is it that he's referring to? You see, friends, this is the, the framework. It is the foundation of our hope. One of the reasons we can hope is because we can look back. We, we may not know the future, but we know the one who holds the future. Amen? And so we put our hope in God. It's largely based not on just blind faith, but a certainty of faith because of what he has done before. Because of what he, and this is what we are hearing, like in Jeremiah thirty three fourteen, Things are unraveling, like at a rapid rate for you, Jeremiah. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But I am going to fulfill what I have shared with you before. And so part of his hope is being based in previous promises. And part of that promise, like Genesis twelve three, God said to Abraham, I will bless you. And among all the things he says, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you by, by what I'm doing through you. It's so a part of Jeremiah's hope and the hope that he's giving to the peoples. He's pointing out, look what God said then, and look at how he's fulfilled himself to this point he fulfilled that promise all the way up, let's say, now to the Davidic covenant. And now he established himself even there. God extends this promise into the days of David. And then God continues to reiterate this promise that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do something great through you. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed as a, as a result of you and what I do through you. And we see this extended covenant made to David, like in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. But here's the problem. This is the gap between what is and what will one day be. If Jerusalem is sacked by Babylon and the last remaining king of Judah, his name is Zedekiah, is taken into exile, his sons killed, his eyes gouged out, left in prison, eventually dies in exile, how can the land and the people and the throne be fulfilled? God says, verse 14, uh, when I fulfill the good word which I've spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. How is this all going to happen? These are understandable questions to ask. But friends, this is the basis of our faith as believers. That a weary world rejoices because not everything is as it seems. Look with me at verse 15. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. you remember that promise God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12:3? All the families of the what of the earth will be blessed. A righteous branch will execute justice and righteousness on the what on the earth. You see, just like a mighty tree that has been fallen, not everything is dead, is it? Now, in our backyard, I'm sure you can relate to this, in our backyard, we have this one stump. And this thing just doesn't want to go away. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Every year, I am pruning back all these things that are, all these limbs and branches that are sprouting out from from the base of this stump. Although fallen... Not everything is dead. And this is the story of God's people. Although its land has been taken, its throne has been removed, its temple destroyed, God still says in those days and at that time, there's hope for tomorrow. What we have in verse 15 is one of the many messianic promises that are set before the people of God. This language of a righteous branch of David That will sprout up is very similar to the kind of description offered by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 11 verse 1. Then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. This passage also points to the future reign of the Messiah. So here is where the words in verse 15 are so important, because the Lord explicitly says, at that time. There's a, a, a sense of clear designation being made, isn't there, by God in verse 15? In those days and at that time, not sometime or a time, but that time. Well, what are we to make of this? Well, here we have, and I believe from our vantage point, what we have now as the church is this particular vision, this sense of knowing what has been fulfilled. This is the first passing of the first advent. What I believe this refers to in verse 15 is the incarnation. It is the Emmanuel we sing about, meaning God with us. This is John 1.14. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. This is the birth, the wrapping in flesh of God's good word being fulfilled to us in Jesus. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring forth. The Messiah comes. Now the Apostle Paul, to to connect this now, when we think about what does it mean at that time? The Apostle Paul writes something very important in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, but when the fullness of the time came, when the fullness of the time came, now Jeremiah thirty-three fifteen. 15, in those days and at that time, there we go, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So friends, consider the perfect timing of God. Back to Jeremiah thirty three fifteen, When God says he will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, think about why Jesus came to the earth when he did. Sometimes it's natural to ask that question. Why did Jesus come 2,000 years ago? It was because it was the perfect timing of God. I mean, if you think about it, at a point in time in which God can make an impact that would spread throughout the whole world, think about why he came then. It was the perfect point within human history. Israel was considered the center of the known world. You look at a map, and Israel is located geographically perfectly that connects three major continents, Europe, Africa, and Asia. Not to mention the location of why there, why Israel, but then at the time in which Jesus came, what was occurring within the world at that point? Well, prior to Jesus' arrival, we have Alexander the Great and the influence that was spread by his conquest. And what we refer to now as Hellenism was the spreading of the Greek culture. So that most people in places, especially by way of language, were interacting with one another at a time like never before. And then being built upon that influence of bringing the world together was then the Roman Empire. And Rome built literally upon that influence a network of roads like the world had never seen. So that basically throughout much of the world, everything was coming back to Rome. And at that time, and in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. This is the shoot that will spring up from the stem of Jesse. This is the righteous branch of David. Jesus is what this season of Advent is all about, friends. He is the gift of hope set before us in the midst of a weary world. He's the reason for our rejoicing. And this is the point of our text. It's the point of God's word to Jeremiah for his people. That in the very heart of deep weariness, when everything is being destroyed or taken away, God will fulfill every promise made to his people. You see, Jesus promises us in John 14 that he is preparing a place for us. A place for us, a home, a realm of paradise, marked by his presence, and he is going to come again. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming again, friends. So Advent isn't just about Christmas, it's about Easter, It's about revelation as well. If Christmas teaches us anything and it reminds us of anything, it's that God has come, Emmanuel, and he will certainly come again. So rejoice. Rejoice in the midst of and even despite the weariness, rejoice. This is why the Lord continues to speak over Jeremiah and his people. And he says to us, moving ahead to verses 17 and 18, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne he then says in verse 18, the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings. You see, it can be so easy to look around our circumstances and conclude all is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Jeremiah felt this weariness as he was confided in prison by King Zedekiah. It even says in verse, chapter 33, verse 1, that he was confined in the court of the guard. Judah must have felt this weariness as the walls of their city came closing in. Jeremiah describes in chapter 32, verse 24, Behold, the siege ramps have reached the city to take it, and the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who fight against it. As he writes, literally the walls are being taken over, and we can feel the weariness as we look around our lives, and all we see is the faint reminders of days gone by but it's in this very space of weariness that god breaks through as the only constant to our ever changing circumstances as hebrews 13:8 tells us jesus christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore forever friends he is the man to sit on the throne, verse 17 of chapter 33, Jesus is that man before God who will continually offer burnt offerings. Jesus is our eternal priest king, who rules over our hearts by the offering of his life. This is why Jeremiah 33:16 says, "The Lord is our righteousness. He's our righteousness." You see, to be righteous is to be just and morally right. But we have to ask ourselves the question, where does the standard come from? The whole idea of righteousness is established by what God has revealed about himself to be true. This is the value and the purpose of the law. The law is the plumb line by which we measure our lives in accordance to the holiness of God. And when we base our lives on that criteria, we should be all the more hopeful that this righteous branch of David sprouts in the midst of our weariness. The siege of Jerusalem during the days of Jeremiah is really no different than the siege that is upon our hearts or in our world today. Because really, sin is a hostile and overwhelming force of destruction. And it lays waste to our world and our very lives. Paul writes in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. We're going to conclude in just a moment with some more worship, so I want to just quickly give time for our bell choir uh, to make their way up. But friends, as we approach the communion table this morning, if perhaps you have this cup that represents, is a symbol of what Jesus has done for us, the cracker and the juice, it is with the communion elements today that we are reminded of a hope for tomorrow. That in the person of Jesus, we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, a righteousness that will rule forever. Yes, we are living in the in-between. Yes, we are in the gap between what has been and what will one day be. But as we take these elements this morning, this cup and this bread, this juice, let us remember that Jesus has, as Paul says in Colossians 1.13, Jesus has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, where there is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Paul tells us in Philippians 1, 6, that what God began in you, a good work, he will complete it. He will complete it. Days are coming. This is our hope. Jesus is the reason for our rejoicing in the midst of a weary world.